And hello, everybody. Welcome to Narrative Live, a great show coming up. The McGonagall Affair, the FBI spy scandal that we've been investigating over the last few weeks. It's getting bigger and broader. And this time, we're going to look directly at the 2016 investigation into Donald Trump and Trump Russia and all those email investigations around Hillary Clinton. And we're going to see if the spy scandal, whether it is in fact responsible for some of the misses of the FBI during the 2016 investigation into Donald Trump, into Hillary Clinton's emails, and then finally into Anthony Weiner's laptop scandal. That is all coming up later. You'll want to stick around. There's a lot of new information coming up in that section of the show. We'll also have Rachel Bitterkoffer, the political strategist, joining us in a few minutes. She has some great thoughts and analysis on last night's very impressive speech by Joe Biden in the State of the Union address. If anyone had any questions about the president's cognitive abilities, or if anyone doubted his ability to take on difficult challenges, including a room full of hostile Republicans, you have no doubts anymore because he was quite remarkable, able to negotiate a whole part of the of the debt to ceiling increase remarkably in real time on live TV. It all happened last night during the State of the Union address. We're going to talk about that. We also want to get your thoughts if you're on chat on YouTube or on Twitter. Let us know what you think of Biden's performance last night. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Twitter feed or YouTube feed. You just click on the little button that says subscribe. Imagine that. If you're on Twitter, you just have to follow my feed and then make sure you've got the notify button pressed so you get notifications every time a live show comes up here on Narrative. Hey everybody, it's Zev from Narrative. This is the most romantic week of the year. And you know what that means? Dinners, dates, drinks, and more. And sometimes those celebrations can leave you feeling a little worse for wear the next morning, if you know what I mean. Well, I have discovered an absolutely brilliant solution for that. It's called Z-Biotics. It's a pre-alcohol probiotic, and it's a miracle formula that allows you to have a few drinks at night without getting those awful post-drinking blues the next day. No need to worry about safety. It's all natural and FDA compliant. You can get Z-Biotics for 15% off your first order with my code REACH, R-E-A-C-H. I recommend getting the six-pack. That's what I got, and it's a great deal. And you'll have a couple of extra to share with your friends. Click the link in the description box or scan the QR code on the screen right now and use code REACH, R-E-A-C-H, at checkout. Go to zbiotics.com forward slash REACH and get 15% off, plus 100% money-back guarantee if you're not satisfied. Make this date night one even Cupid would be proud of. Get some Zbiotics today so you can still feel the love tomorrow. I like that. It was an incredible tour de force by the President of the United States last night, an address that not only presented an ambitious agenda for the future, a vision for the future, which is really unrivaled by any president in living history, maybe even in all of American history, a remarkable plan to rebuild America from the middle out, a plan that celebrates blue-collar workers, and a plan that really seems to have engaged the American population in a very real way. He was heckled and jeered by Marjorie Taylor Greene, amongst many others, within the Republican caucus. This may be the way that politics looks like these days, but on this particular day, it looks like Biden won versus the GOP and MTG. I had a fascinating conversation with Rachel Bitterkoffer, the political strategist, about her thoughts from last night. Here's that interview. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me back on the show. A long time. It's great to see you. It has been a while. Last time we were on, we were surprised at how well the Democrats did relative to what their expectations were in the midterms. And today seems like the sequel to that. I mean, wow, what an incredible performance by the president who was able to really cement that non-victory victory victory that happened in the midterms. (laughs) 
Yeah, it really was a great State of the Union for Joe Biden. The speech itself was good. It was, it had a lot of good component parts to it, but what really made him shine was the hostility, which is, by the way, way out of the norm for a State of the Union. It was quite newsworthy years ago, a few years ago, back when Obama was president, when one member made a verbal outburst, okay? So as the speech was continuing, I I knew right away it would be a big storyline, but I was hoping and I was really glad to see other people agreeing that storyline would also be, fuck around with Joe Biden, you better find out, buddy. <laughs> He was fantastic at responding really quickly to a lot of these things. Obviously, he was somewhat prepared for it. But it also meant that the Republicans really gave Biden a helping hand in last night's speech by being rude and interrupting him so many times. They made the show more entertaining. They made it much more exciting. They did, and they set him up to win. Kevin McCarthy understood this going in. I don't know why he would have ever failed to manage expectations on his ability to keep the caucus decorous. He was out on doing the shows early yesterday, talking about how they were going to be disciplined. He had it all figured out. It's going to be this tight ship. And of course, they weren't going to give Joe Biden the moral high ground by heckling him. And obviously that didn't happen. But what's even better about it is that he found an opportunity to stumble them into making headlines about their plans to make to repeal social security and medicare and i'll tell you why that's extraordinarily important should we watch it and then you can do tell us oh, sure. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. let's, let's take a look at that particular clip that means congress doesn't vote well i'm glad to see you no i tell you i, I enjoy conversion you know it means if if congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are they'd go away other republicans say i'm not saying it's a majority of you i don't even think it's even a significant but it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. <laughs> Look, folks, the idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond, <laughs> folks. So folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now, right? They're not to be sponsored. All right. <laughs> we got unanimity. Better the second time. Yeah. Social Security and Medicare are a lifeline for millions of seniors. Americans have to pay into them from the very first paycheck they started. So tonight, Let's all agree, and we apparently are. Let's stand up for seniors. <laughs> and apparently we are. Let's stand up for seniors. You can't not stand up for seniors. We will not cut Social Security. We will not cut Medicare. Those benefits belong to the American people. They earned it. And if anyone tries to cut Social Security, which apparently no one's going to do, which apparently no if one's anyone tries do. to cut Medicare, I'll stop them. I'll veto it. <laughs> but I'm not going to allow them to take away, be taken away. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. But apparently it's not. Cut that line off. But you, so Wow, that was really good. I mean, the second, well, the second time is better. Um, it was better because you know the outcome, yeah. right? So... <laughs>
<laughs> you saw sort of a slow wave building of people standing up on the Republican side as they were like, should we, shouldn't we? And they just did. I think they were following Kevin McCarthy to stand up. At that point, they're sort of lemmings of the GOP. They just follow whatever the speaker does. But that's remarkable that he was able to do that on his feet in front of a massive TV audience to be able to really corner Republicans. Yeah, Biden's not too old to kick Republican ass every day. No. That's a big point, right? The part of the campaign or the anticipated campaign from the GOP is that Biden is cognitively unfit, that he stumbles, that he mumbles, that All he, right he's not great. All right made yeah. up troops. All yeah. just complete nonsense, as, as we could see last night. That's, and, and it's as a very... you could see last night. That's, that's the whole point, mm. right? So there's a couple things, right? With the polling that came out, a lot of people were shocked to see, and I certainly wasn't, showing 65% of Americans responding to a survey question asking them, has Biden done a lot or a little or nothing, right? Basically two subcategories. And the 65% of Americans said he's done little or nothing. This is the most objective, of, by objective standards, legislatively, the most productive president we've had in decades, okay? And he has done that with a very thin majority. And what, so when I, when, why is that? People probably wonder, why can people think that? Is it just the inflation economy headlines or what is it? And it's because most people don't read news or information, guys. And like for me, heading into the speech, which is the one time a year that you get a decent audience size for political material, it's the one time a year I thought what we really need out of this is a headline about the Republican plans to repeal Social Security and Medicare to end mm -hmm. them, right? And to have it all come out like that is just really great. Strategically, everyone's talking about Social Security and Medicare, and that's going to permeate out to the part of the electorate that has no had no idea until the speech and maybe even didn't watch it. That That's on the chopping table, and that's what this debt ceiling fight is really about. So it was a huge strategic win for Joe Biden. And also Kevin McCarthy failed his second leadership test. The first is the speaker's vote, which was a debacle for him. And then he failed to control the House caucus at a time where they could have, all they had to do was just sit there and shut up. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and really the third test, because he's already screwing up the negotiation over the debt ceiling, giving into that Social Security Medicare agreement that basically Biden and Rick struck with the GOP last night. So that's a pretty remarkable stuff for Biden, but it's to manage expectations. There's, an, there's another two years of GOP rule of the House, and it's going to be a lot about how bad the Bidens are, Hunter Biden did this or that, and it's going to be investigation after investigation, probably for the next two years out of the House. Oh, yeah. Fake, and then, I prefer to call them fake investigations, okay? Right. Let's be clear, because they call our real investigations witch hunts and fakes, because they, they want to brand it. So I urge people who will hear my voice when you, we're going to say, and when you're talking about Republicans, investigation, add fake, okay, <laughs> in front. We have to do that hyperbolic branding work ourselves because no one's going to do it for us when it really needs to be an echo. What so happens when both sides are calling the, each other's investigations fake? Is it, are we just, is everyone fake then? Do we lose faith in, in our entire system if we keep doing that? Here's the thing. I'm not going to not call fake investigations, fake investigations. Okay. Right. Cause um, they are fake the investigations. Reason, yeah. Because they have to be mocked at the root. If they're mocked in the leaves and the branches, then you are legitimating the investigation, the entire premise of the investigation. And it's fake fairness committee to 
against weaponization, right? It is a committee to weaponize the federal government. That's the purpose of the committee, not its topic. Okay. So we, so I'm going to push back and I'm going to tell you, no, yes, in a perfect world, we would have, we would not return. We'd do what we've done for a decade, not return fire, not use hyperbolic language, not do the things that they're doing. And where that has put us, frankly, and I think a lot of people will agree with this, is on the foot of, of a fascist mountain, right? We do not want to be in this situation, and we are not going to get out of it with the go-high model. That's what got us to this point and has allowed a Republican Party that's so radicalized that it wants to end Social Security and Medicare and pass a national abortion ban where no one, women will have nowhere in America to run to get an abortion service. That is the reality of what we're facing. I'm going to push back and I'm going to say, yeah, we don't want to live in a world where no one trusts the government, but that's what the GOP has already created for us. And by unilaterally disarming ourselves to do the right thing, we are probably going to sentence marginal groups, minorities especially, and particularly Latino Americans, to real injustice in the future. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think the Biden administration has already started that sort of new policy of being a strategy, if you like, of not playing their game, of being very on the offensive every day. They're not going on the typical defensive footing that go in. And it so far is working for them. Give me a last word, if you would, on MTG. She's basically, the speaker seems to have more control over the House Republicans than Kevin McCarthy in terms of getting people to do what they want them to do. What's the prognosis on her? Is she going to, is her star going to continue to climb? Or do you think she's going to find her way out by the time we get to the next election? No, we're talking about a political party that's radicalized and she's in a safe district in a house district that's gerrymandered and doesn't face two-party competition so it's very difficult to remove marjorie taylor green electorally she'd have to be challenged in a primary it'd have to be well financed and it would be contentious not impossible i certainly think i could beat her in a primary strategy but i'd have to work for republicans to do it i never would in any case what marjorie taylor green the this is the problem and i think joe scarborough on morning joe this morning really summarized it. he's of course an ex-Republican, recovered Republican. And it's this, there's a financial incentive for Marjorie Taylor Greene to show up looking like Corella DeVille in a crazy outfit and then make a scene the whole time with her white balloon and her yelling and her lack of decorum because she's going to raise a million dollars, dude, yeah. and she doesn't even need it. So like that temptation is so strong. It's a much stronger incentive than towing the party line and doing what's best for the collective. Marjorie Taylor Greene gives not one, two shits about the 18 Republicans that make up the swing districts of their House majority, okay? She doesn't care about being in the majority either because she's a performative grifter, right? So her star is high. It's going to continue to be high so long and until we break the fever that has overtaken the other half of the electorate. And, and that's, if we do our work well, I like to think a strong 2024, especially if we hold the Senate in a map that really favors them and sweep all three, that might be enough to finally shake the donor class loose from the MAGA base. That it's gonna take another ass kicking. They can't triangulate what they need to do. Most of them know what, to, what happened in the midterms, that they got their asses whopped. And that's because they're a threat to democracy and stripping women's fundamental freedoms away, right? And the verdict of Magalan, which controls 70% of the party and thus the power, that's not what happened, okay? They lost because they weren't MAGA enough. They should have been talking about jailing us or <laughs> executing us or whatever you do once you're moving past in the policy space, national abortion bans and establishing an autocratic theocracy like they're doing in Florida under Ron DeSantis. So it really is a situation where we're, we're really working in the pro-democracy space against one political party at this point until and unless we can break its fever. 
Yeah, absolutely. Great analysis, as always. Rachel Bitterkoff, thank you for joining us on Narrative. Yeah, thank you so much. By the way, if you are chatting to us, if you want to talk to us, please go to the YouTube chat. And then on the other side, we're going to talk about the McGonagall affair and um, whether it really does impact the 2016s, whether it really did have an impact on the investigations of the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., or the New York field office in New York that had, had so much impact on the last few years since Donald Trump took over. If that FBI investigation had operated differently, if the timing was different, we could have had a very different result in 2016 than the one we got. So we'll get into that right after this. Every minute of narratives reporting Every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives.